Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Samantha Stone, and we'll explore how she's been helping agency owners, including myself, build sales playbooks that generate more leads and close more deals. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Now let's transition over to this week's guest, Samantha. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, y'all. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Samantha Stone. If you don't know Samantha, she's the author of Unleash Possible, a marketing playbook that drives sales, is a revenue catalyst who unleashes the possible in organizations that have complex selling processes. And in 2012, she founded the Marketing Advisory Network to help savvy businesses and their leaders unleash the possible within their enterprises. I am one of those people she's helping. Samantha. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here. I have had so much fun working with you, Brooke and Alex and your team. It's just been amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to share all of this knowledge that you've been teaching us to everyone, basically, who listens or watches the show. So first things first, same question I ask everybody to start out. Why did you decide to start your own marketing agency? What made you jump in and do this? There was really a couple of reasons. One was a business reason and one was a personal reason. On the personal side, my kids at the time were getting older. My kids are now all adults. But my kids were sort of entering that upper elementary school, middle school age. And I just felt that I was on the road a lot and I was traveling a lot. I didn't have a lot of control over my schedule. And those days we went into the office every day too. There was no like hybrid work from home environments. And I just felt I wanted to have more flexibility in my schedule. I loved what I did, but I wanted more flexibility. So that was kind of the personal reason why I did it. The professional reason why I did it is I had so many people, I had grown a wonderful network. I had lots of people who wanted help. And when working for a single company, I'd always done some side projects, but I couldn't dedicate the time to it that I wanted. And I knew I could help more businesses by doing a consulting program and starting the company instead of doing it the way that I had been doing it. And it was time. I had been in-house. I'd done a lot of work, but the more senior I had become, the less I was doing the work and the more I was uh-huh. doing internal politics and you know all that sort of stuff, which which was fine and a great learning experience and helps me be a better consultant now that I've lived through it. But it wasn't what I loved. I wanted to get back to doing 
the research, back to doing the messaging, back to, you know, doing sales enablement the right way. And so this became the perfect opportunity to do that. Now, did I envision that I would make it this far? No, I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself six months and see what happens. And I'm so thrilled. I've never regretted the decision once. Oh, well, and honestly, I can attest to that because I've been working with Samantha for a couple of months now. And it does, it shows in your work. Like you really are, you know, passionate about what you do. You get, you dive really deep. And I think that's rare and hard to find a lot of times. So it's definitely appreciated. So before we dive into some of the deeper topics around a sales playbook, let's just for the audience or the listeners explain what a sales playbook is. Like, what is it and why is it important for a marketing agency owner to think about having a sales playbook? I'm really glad you asked this question because a sales playbook means really different things to different groups within an organization. So I think it's important for the context of our audience to, to understand how I'm thinking about it. So their sales teams will often have something they call a sales playbook. And the sales playbook that sales builds is typically around how do I score different opportunities? What's the methodology of sales that we're using? What are the, you know, sort of operational things that happen in sales? Understanding that and incorporating the concepts and ideas consistently in the playbook that we build is really important, but it is not the same thing. And it's important for us to talk about that. A sales playbook that we built together and I often build for organizations is around how to effectively identify the right prospects, who can we best serve, not just who can we serve, but who are we gonna best serve? What can we say to them that's gonna attract their attention, right? So it's all that sort of messaging work. And then we talk about what objections they're going to give us and how do we respond to that? And how do we ask great questions that are going to surface pain and surface urgency? And what are attention grabbers that we can give people to do that? And what's the inventory of resources available to help salespeople do their job better? Which, by the way, is designed to help salespeople, but really designed with the buyer in mind, right? Is What does the buyer need and how does a salesperson use that to catch their attention? So the playbook is a complement to what a sales team might be building on the operational side. And it just makes everything in one place and so easy for us to aspect. Because here's the rest, if you're a salesperson, you're on the phone, you're maybe doing a chat, maybe you're on the road, maybe you're visiting in a conference, maybe you're coming back from a, you're in your car on the way back from a meeting. It is great to have single resources that are easy to access right in that moment, both digitally. And by the way, I still like physical copies of these things. I know they get outdated, so you have to be careful what goes in a physical copy. But the playbook's core messaging work shouldn't be changing week by week or month by month. That should have some durability for you. Yeah. And, you know, I I love that you made the distinction like, like, hey, we are talking to you, marketing agency owners, not just to salespeople, because... Yes, I am the salesperson for my company right now, but my plan is to not be that person anymore. And this book not only helps me kind of understand that, but find the right person to then implement the plan. So let's talk about other marketing agency owners. What stage of the journey of the marketing agency owner journey do you think the sales playbook comes into play? You know, is it at the start? Is it in the middle? For me, it's like 11 years in, you know, maybe I'm a little late. But when should people, our marketing agency owners, start thinking about building something like this? Yeah, I think there's a couple of distinctions. So I think, first of all, they are updated in moments of transition. So you're not 11 years too late. You're going through a transition of your business, right? And you're evolving it. And so that's why this is the perfect time to take the step back 
induce a project like this. For marketing agency owners, this, you're first of all, you're going to want one for your business yourself, but you also might build these with your clients. And so there are multiple times when these are useful. First of all, if you're launching something new, introducing a new service, a new product, a strategic customer that you're bringing on board, you want to do this up front because this is your discovery. This is the output of all that discovery work, right? Agency owners, we go out. We don't talk to enough customers typically. We sometimes don't have the opportunity to do message testing fully, but whatever you can do for your clients, this is sort of a great delivery mechanism because you can build all your campaigns off of it. All your themes come off of it. It feeds your creative team, not just your sales team, right? The more your creative team understands your buyers, the better work you're going to produce, whether you're producing emails or ads or videos, right? This just completely makes it easier. This is a great tool if you're launching a new salesperson or sales team you're bringing on board. If you're bringing on board an outbound calling agency, this has been like the lifeblood for me when I've helped companies do that because it gets them up to speed very quickly about what's important and what they need to know and how to do that. I mean, the, we didn't go into a lot of detail, but it includes even things like if you're talking to a person like this, here are the specific pains they have. And these are the specific features you should talk about because we can't go into every conversation and have, say, everything we do, right? All right, the- right. So I think the playbooks really are best served in moments of transition, whether it's introducing new, evolving, bringing on a new team, or transitioning the business in some meaningful way to do something different, whether I'm growing in a new region, perhaps, I'm opening a new office, or I am offering an entirely new, different kind of service, or I want to evolve my brand. And I do things like this even for myself. I mean, they're not as pretty and neat and organized <laughs> when I do it for myself. Let's be honest, right? We're all cobbler's children. We have holes in our shoes. But I do this exercise uh, purposely for that. I, for example, launched an on-demand course a few months ago. And it was the first time I had ever done that kind of a product for my organization. And I went through a really extensive pre-work I went through really extensive beta testing of the course and then really extensive message testing to talk about how we would talk about that course afterwards. And it took time and it slowed me down, but in the end, it sped up delivery of it. And when I did launch, I was able to sell a couple hundred copies of the course right away without a lot of work just in my immediate network because I'd gotten the messaging right and I yeah. need to focus on. I love that example of using it for a course because as you know, I'm I'm trying to build on a couple of courses right now. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening or watching have courses or want to build a course. So I think that would be an excellent way to execute a sales book, a sales playbook for a course. So let's talk about what are some of the key elements that go into a marketing agency's playbook? What should it include? Like, top three things must absolutely have, cannot move forward without these things. What would you say those were? So the number one thing is actually the hardest thing. And that is a narrowing down of who our audience is. Now you may as an organization have multiple playbooks because you might have different aspects of your business. And that is totally acceptable and that is totally okay. But what you don't want to do is build a playbook for all your audiences because it waters down the messaging and becomes ineffective. So the place that most organizations and agencies get stuck is we want to create the biggest universe of people that we can sell to because that provides us an illusion of stability. But what it actually does is it dilutes our focus and it actually makes us less effective at finding the people who are going to be really good matches for what we can do and who we can best serve. 
and it dilutes the message. So when we do talk to people, they they don't quite know where we fit perfectly. So you absolutely have to do your diligence. And I don't just mean, hey, we're going to go after companies that are, you know, within 100 miles of us because we do a lot of in-person work and they're going to be, you know, businesses like this industry, right? That that You have to have that. You have to have sort of your firmographic profile down, but you have to go beyond that and you have to look at the psychographic profile information as well. What specific pain points are they going to save? Who are the specific buyers who are going to care about that? What are the ultra characteristics of the company or the process they go through that will tell us that they're an excellent fit? So you are going to take probably a pretty big industry segment, maybe even a pretty broad size of companies you're going to have, and you're going to shrink it. And that's going to scare you. But I promise when we do that really well, it dramatically improves our win rate. It dramatically improves our focus. So our sales teams are going to be in the places they can play. The agency world is super competitive, right? Mm -hmm. And you're in there and you're competing with lots of different people. A lot of that work is RFP driven. A lot of that work is multi-vendor driven. And the better you can be very, very, very clear about where you are going to win, the more efficient your business is. And you don't need the big, broad stuff that wastes a lot of time and energy. Yes. And I can attest to this part, too, because we had kind of narrowed our audience down to three kind of types of industries, corporations who we wanted to go after. And then we tried to bring you a fourth and you were like, well, let's think about this. I mean, she was very nice about it. But, you know, after talking with you, we were like, you know what? That makes total sense. Like we're going against the whole idea of what we're trying to to prove out here. So I really appreciated that. And when I tell you that she goes through and talks about like literally the people in the company who you will probably be selling to and talking with to land the deal, that's another place where Samantha's genius shines because I tried to say procurement was part of you know, that audience with some of the clients that we work with now. And she was like, no, that's actually not right. So anyways, I appreciate it because, you know, it it is hard. Well, and just to be clear, I'm really appreciative of you guys, because the reason I could say that with confidence is I had the ability to talk with some of your customers and customers like them that you want to sell to and dig down objectively from a step back and understand the buying process they go through, right? Some companies and some products and services, it may be in fact that that is the right audience, but it was so great that I had the opportunity, the exposure to do that because that's how this work happens. And so kind of that's that second category, Brooke, is to really dig down and define the buying process, not from the seller's point of view, but from the buyer's point of view and understand who's involved in each stage and what do they deeply care about and how are they going to make decisions? Because that provides us the map to then say, what content do we create? What position do we create? How do we tell them why we are the right fit? And how do we vet that they are the right fit for us? What questions are we going to ask that's going to surface the things that we can't buy? We can buy a list that tells us what industry they're in. We can have them fill out a form that tells us how big a company they are, what their job titles are. But there are other things we need to know if they're going to be a good match for us. And we need to do that through the dialogue. So that's the sort of second piece of what's every playbook has to have that. You have to have audience and you have to have that buying journey really well understood so you can do the right positioning. We'll talk a little bit about that because I found that to be very smart and interesting as a part of the process was that you wanted to talk to obviously me 
you wanted to talk to our chief service officer, you wanted to talk to someone like who was more in the day to day, and then you wanted to talk to a couple of clients. So explain that process and strategy and and what the goal is of, of doing something like that. Yeah, you know, through this process, we're trying to get at sort of three vectors of information that's going to feed us. So one of those is, is what does the business want to achieve, right? So beyond, hey, I've got a revenue number that I'm trying to reach. What are the other things about our business that are really important? What is our, from a strategy standpoint, like, hey, we can make money in lots of ways, but where do we find fulfillment or what is a, a big thing that we want to do? And I don't want to uh, give up too much information because I know we're, we're still in pre-launch mode for your project, but in general, understanding those business goals. So for example, somebody might come to me and say, hey, you know what? I want to make enough to retire in five years. I'm a small business and that's my goal. Other people might come, I want an exit strategy and I want our agency to be bought by an agency. Or we want, you know, we're right now, we're a couple of people and we want to grow to be a hundred people, right? So what the business strategy has to start first. And that's why it's so important, Brooke, to talk to you and to Alex and other leaders in the company. Then I want to talk to service people because salespeople make promises and service people have to deliver them. (laughs) Yes. They know what we're actually good at, right? They really understand where, you know, where are the expectations that get missed? When do we over exceed expectations? When do we disappoint people? How well are we job of setting expectations with the clients about what they need to do to prepare to, to do that? Are we vetting those clients? And you guys do an excellent job of this, but th- most of us do a good job, but have areas of improvement. Or they might highlight something that doesn't sound like it was the most important thing we do, but it's the thing that customers rave the most about to them yeah. and thank them for the most. So understanding that is super critical. Then I'm going to talk to customers that work with you today. And first, I usually start with the customers who already know and love you. Like that's the, because we want to understand why did they choose you? They could have had other things. What was the process they went through? How did they determine where they are? Why do they stick around? I also like to talk to people maybe we lost, right? Like why didn't they choose us? What was it about how we, what we offer or how we presented ourselves that wasn't successful? And then if I can, and in this case, I was able to talk to a couple of people that were in my own network blindly. I didn't tell them who I was working with, but I could talk to them about the kinds of things I wanted to do who don't know you because those are the process. That's actually the meat of this, right? Because the people who already know and love you, you want to make sure you're not going to say anything that's going to upset them. Or if you are, you want to be prepared for that. But what we're trying to do is bring people in who don't already know us. So I need to make sure to understand that from their point of view, what do they look for? Why do they care? What is important? How would they rank the value of certain messagings? What's believable from someone they don't know? Brooke, right? You're so lovable and charming and smart and capable and you've proven so much. So the people who already know you believe whatever it is you're going to say, but the people who don't know, right, the company, maybe some things we're saying sound like an overreach, even though they're true. So how do we find those right balances. And I'll give you an example that has nothing to do with your project, but it's something I remind myself all the time when it comes to that. I was helping launch a software company in this case, but we were launching a new product and we were saying we were a hundred times faster than the industry leader. And we actually had real evidence to prove that, right? We had some good lab work we had done. We worked with a couple of beta customers, but it was such an unbelievable statement that people dismissed us. And we only knew that because we message tested. So then we moved our positioning from 10 to 100 times faster. And all of a sudden it became a believable statement, even though we were always way more than 10 times faster, like all the time. But 
that's the work we do by talking to people who don't already know and trust us, because those are the insights we only gain if we can do that. So that work helps us now look at this from all different angles. And then the, the, there's another, I said three, but there's really four. The fourth category is looking at your alternative landscape. So, and I, some people call this like competitive landscape that can be due. Sometimes it's not just direct competitors, which is why I hesitated to use the word, but also the people who displace you for money, right? If the, the trade-offs that people make. But how do people talk about their alternative approach or their like products? And if we're going to make sure that we talk about them, then we're going to have some commonalities if we offer similar things. But how do we get beyond those commonalities to make it very clear where we are a better fit and where we're not? And so all of those things come together to say, okay, goals, people who love us, people who didn't love us enough, buyers who don't know us at all, and uh, the context of the market that we sit within, how can all these pieces come together and help us frame a positioning that's going to be durable? Because Yes, we're going to experiment and we can refine things over time. But what you don't want to do is be constantly changing, right? Marketing agency owners, we all know this, right? Exhausting to rebrand and rebright and do everything all the time. Now, we might want our clients to do it a lot because it gives us money. But the reality is we don't want to do that for our own businesses. It's, it's exhausting. We want and we don't really want to do it for clients. We want to build on success over time. And we want things that we deliver to market to be stable so that we can have durable businesses that grow over time with the least amount of effort on our sales team's part and on our delivery team's part. So true. Yeah. Like it's building upon, it's, it's just a value add. It's adding value in all the right places instead of going back to basics, which I think, you know, happens a lot of times in marketing. So we've talked about all the amazing things about a sales playbook, but have you seen or in your own experience learned from common pitfalls or mistakes when building out some of these sales playbooks? And if so, how can you give advice on how to avoid those those pitfalls? Yeah, I don't know if you do this intentionally, but you kind of queued up the third must have. So well done, Brooke. You read my mind. Thank you. you know, I love that. You know, the, what happens with these sales playbooks is we put them on a shelf somewhere and they get a lot of attention and then we sort of forget about them. And one of the techniques that I use that helps keep them fresh and top of mind and utilize is making sure that there is at least a section of this, which is basically like triggering the conversations that we want to have with buyers. What are the questions we want to be asking buyers along the way that are going to surface their pain? What's going to create urgency? Buy the role in the company, buy the offerings that we have. Because that makes sure we're actually referencing that on a regular basis. And if things aren't working the way we hope, that we can modify that, right? We'll update that over time. And that's the biggest pitfall is we do it once, we don't spot check it. We don't update it. We leave it on a shelf. It looked you know, great. We did all this research. We put all this time in and then we let it get stale. And you know, that's the danger. The second common pitfall is we only talk to ourselves. We sit in a room and we, we do know our businesses. Nobody knows our businesses better than us. You know your people, you know where your profits are, you know, you know why you started the company, you know where you want to go. So it's tempting for us to just, write it all down, but it it really needs the external validation if you want to make the most of this process. And that is something that is, again, it's hard for us to make. T- we do it for our clients all the time, but to make it time for ourselves is sometimes painful, but is absolutely essential if you want this tool to be one that's used. So those are the two most common pitfalls that I see people making. And then the third 
pitfall I'll just say is we don't involve sales enough in the process and we use the word play sales playbook and they think they're getting something they're not. When we deliver what we do deliver, sales has never once not been thrilled. But when they think they're getting an operational guide on forecasting and using Salesforce and doing all these other things, they get frustrated and disappointed. And so you want to make sure that you're involving sales and not only describing it, but building up champions and voices that are going to be credible for the rest of the sales team so that people will believe in the tool that you've built. Yeah, so important. Well, we kind of touched on the first pitfall, but like, what would you say, how often should you be updating your sales playbook? Are there specific indicators or signs that it's time for a revision? In general, a good guideline is every six months, make sure you're updating. the. Okay, wow, yeah. Now, it doesn't need a whole refresh every six months. If you've done the right job and you've done a good job, it should have mostly remained the same. However, things change. Competitors come out with new services. Maybe you lost somebody critical on your team and you have to adjust you know, a service. Maybe the market has changed in some other meaningful way. Maybe there's a new AI content tool that's come out and all of a sudden you got to rethink your content, You know what you're going to do, right? Oh, yeah. So every six months is a good general check. Okay. But the signs that the playbook is, if you look at, hey, we're bringing in a lot of clients, but they're, we're not getting the same satisfaction ratings we used to have, or our customers are not renewing at the rate that they used to, or it's starting to cost us more to serve clients than we would like, our profit margins are shrinking, or gosh, we have to respond to three times as many RFPs to get the same number of deals and deals are taking longer to close, Right. Those may not be all things you can change, but they are signs that you should go in and evaluate. Are we still talking to the right audience? Do we have the right message? Are we able to deliver the right product and service to them? Or do we maybe even need to change something about our product and service? Yeah, I think that was a great point that you had on there because what I've noticed, obviously, right now in the U.S., we're kind of you know, facing an economic downturn. And the pipeline's gotten much longer for us and for several other agency owners who I've spoken to. So this might be a good time. Why the pipeline is, you know, a little bare or taking a little long to kind of either revamp or even just look at creating one, right? Because I think when you do get the messaging right, it makes all the difference in the world. Like, I again, I don't want to give away too much because we have more questions to go, but it really does make a huge, huge difference. So, Can you explain how a well-constructed sales playbook will or can contribute to a predictable sales process? Yeah, and I, I think for a couple of things. First of all, when you best understand what buyers are doing now, how their buying process runs, what they care about, who's involved, you're naturally going to be in more efficient in selling them. The other thing that allows us to do is more efficient in attracting the right people, right? And making sure that we're talking to the right audience. And I, this you didn't directly ask this question, but I'm going to bring it up because I think it's really critical. We're all, agency owners are all basically B2B marketing and sales. We're selling to a business that has customers. And so we need to understand, some of us need to understand consumers. Some of it, they focus on B2B altogether. But either way, we have to understand what's happening. And there are dramatic trends in purchasing even complex products and services that should affect what we offer our clients. And we have the opportunity right now to stop and pause and do more self-service entry offerings that can fill up our pipelines with some passive income, but more importantly, help people know who we are and what we're important on. So even us, like on my website, 
even a year ago, I would never have had a service that you could book and pay for a meeting with me online. I would never have had an on-demand course, right? I have those things now on my site because of a multiple, it serves multiple purposes. So one is it shows and helps my audience understand that I understand how buyers are changing. And complex selling is happening digitally and through e-commerce more than ever in really meaningful ways. And that was spurred by the pandemic, that was spurred by economic contraction, it's spurred by a lot of things. So it demonstrates expertise. The other thing that it does for me is um, because people are in some economic depression and marketing budgets at a lot of tech companies, which happens to be where most of my business comes from. So I probably do 75% tech businesses, 25% service businesses that feed my revenue. And so a lot of them had dramatic cuts in their bud- marketing budgets over the last few months and have dramatic you know, staff cuts and all kinds of things happening. So they provide some passive income that keeps the business going. But it also creates this lead gen channel, right, that is uh, attracting the right kind of people who are studying the topics that are going to have them find my service valuable. But I could have just said, hey, book a meeting for $200 and have a general, you know, travel. And a lot of people do that. A lot of consultants do that. But that's not what I wanted to do because it's not going to attract the people who are going to be my ongoing recurring consulting business because ultimately... The passive income is nice, but that's not the business I'm building. I make my money on the consulting and the research projects and the sales enablement. And so in order for me to do that, I have a plan review. So come, if you want to pitch your budget to your team and you want to make sure you're building the best business case for your marketing plan, or you want to talk about your audience, or you want to do some of those things, you can book an hour of my time for that. And I have it built into my schedule. They literally, the schedule, they pay with a credit card right there or whatever, however they want to do it electronically. And it's on the schedule. And I don't actually have to talk to them before that happens. Now I, I can, and I'm willing to, if somebody wants to, but it's not necessary. And while I don't have a lot of those, I do have some come through, which always surprised sure. someone who read a book, someone who saw me a LinkedIn post, someone who said, Hey, you really should check with Samantha. And they went to my site and they found this offering and they're ready to jump in a little bit. The jumping in is something that doesn't always lead to consulting, and that's okay, but it can lead to it. And it helps them better understand my value proposition and what I do. So integrating these kinds of offers and understanding how your buyer's processes are changing and then making it available to them and showcasing your expertise is such an important tool for us. And that is something that we need to look at pretty regularly, right? Things are are changing really fast. Yeah, I'll bring up another point. I keep bringing up me as an example because literally I have been going through this through the past couple of months with with Samantha, but you were asking us about like, how could we offer something that was like, you know, not the full service, but a quick end to the service. And we were like, we can't, we can't, (laughs) we can't. It's too much of a heavy lift. This is how it works. And Again, you made us with a very gentle, polite conversation, sit down and think about ways that we could. And we ended up on something that I think will be wonderful, like a kind of try before you buy type of situation that could get us in front of the right buyer at the right time with the right offer to then potentially get them on a a larger retainer project. So I, I think that was a huge part of what 
drew me to the fact that this was such a brilliant thing to do because I would have never thought about that, right? But the market is changing. The market's changing. And also when you're looking to launch something new or grow your business in a specific way, you're trying to go after people who don't know you. And so you've got to have these, it doesn't have to be free. It doesn't have to be, but you've got to have some risk mitigation strategies. And in this case, we were able to put together an offering that is a risk mitigation strategy. And candidly, I don't think a lot of people are going to take you up on it, but it allows you to have the conversation that shows that your trust, that you will, you're willing to work with them. And for those who want it, is defined in a way that isn't overly burdensome to your service team. Because one of the risks we have as agencies is we can't afford to put too much time into a client who doesn't convert. And so not from a sales process, but from a delivery standpoint. So how do we craft these interaction points, some very passive, some more active, and then sort of all in to allow our buyers, wherever they are in their budgeting journey, wherever they are in their evaluation journey, to truly get to know us because that's where we stand out from others. There's too many agencies out there that the only way you can work with me is you give me a $100,000 retainer and I'm going to do a discovery project. I'm going to tell you what you learn and then I'm going to do that. And for some big brands, that's fine, right? That's how they operate and it's, it's no problem. But for most of us who are, are not in those really, really big agencies working with huge brands that are going to spend millions of dollars on projects with us in a given year, we have to operate in an efficiency model that allows us to be flexible and focused. And having those kinds of easy entry points showcases our expertise and allows us to attract the right types of prospects. Yeah, you're hitting on a point here, a broader point about where we are in the marketing industry, and that's providing value. I put out a poll on LinkedIn a few weeks ago and I said, you know, what's the hardest part of, you know, running an agency or being an agency marketer? And without fail, the, the most people on the poll picked showing value, proving value. And I think we are in a different time and it could get better. But I, but with all of these other tools that are coming out now, like you mentioned AI earlier, I think it, the urgency for marketing agencies to prove their value is bigger and more urgent than ever. And this sort of exercise of creating this playbook helps you understand what that value is, but also what that value is for each person who you may be talking to in that sales process. Maybe it's the CMO. Maybe it's the VP of comms. Maybe you do talk to procurement in your situation. You know, it could be the head of social. Whatever it is, you can figure out what that value is for each of those personas and then tie your messaging to that, which I think is so important right now with, again, the way the industry is changing. It's so critically important, Brooke. And it also, if you do this well, cues you up to have customers share back with you their results. Because if you've done a good job in the sales process of being very narrow about what they're trying to achieve and why and how they're going to measure it, and we do that discovery process with them very, very cleanly through the sales interactions that we have with them, they are more likely to be able to share with us results over time. They're more likely to flag, hey, this isn't doing what we hoped it would do, or we're having trouble measuring this when we thought we would be able to, or gosh, I would love to be able to prove that, but I have no internal systems. How are you gonna help me measure that, right? And if we do that up front, then we have a better chance of retaining customers and growing referrals, which feeds, you know, as an agency owner, 
those are the lifeblood that keeps us going is referrals and, you know, renewals. Yes. Most of us don't need a thousand customers. Most of us need 10 customers, 20 customers, maybe a hundred customers, right? (laughs) But we, because we're marketers, we sometimes try and apply broad-based tactics to our own companies. And we, and that can often be an expensive distraction. Oh, Oh, I couldn't agree more. So how do you think, this is kind of my own little personal question, but I'm sure all of you are wondering the same thing. How does a sales playbook tie into the broader sales training and onboarding process, right? So if I'm hiring someone to help me, Brooke, take sales off of my plate or to work with me on sales, what does the sales playbook look like in that onboarding or sales training process? It becomes your your training book, right? It becomes, it's not everything because you need to augment it with demonstrations and presentations that you give, but it is, becomes the, so I typically use it as the basis for designing my onboarding program. So I have this playbook, it's a leave behind that they will have. And I will start with who do we serve and why, what are our goals as a business and, and what do they care about? And I will set up sessions based on sections in the playbook that will be part of that onboarding. And I will augment the material that's in writing with you know, live conversations and things that you need to have and sitting in on sales calls and doing the kinds of things that you need to. But it becomes a really, really valuable foundation for designing onboarding. And it becomes the leave behind that they reference regularly, particularly when they're first getting up to speed, go back and look at it. And even when you're up to speed, people still reference these things regularly because they're getting on the phone with someone they don't normally talk to. And they're like, oh, I need to go look that up. Or I haven't come across that competitor as much because of where I am, perhaps. And so, oh, I need to go check up there. I know I'm in an account where I'm competing against XYZ company. What can I do to best position myself in there? What landmine questions can I ask that are going to queue up our strengths versus that competitor? And maybe I've been in sales at the company for three years. I've just never sold against them. Or maybe I used to sell very effectively against and I'm starting to lose more there and I need to go back and refresh and rethink my strategy there. So it just becomes a really instrumental part of that process that you can design. And it makes all those other things a lot easier because if you have the playbook documented, all the other stuff becomes much, much, much easier for you to produce. Oh my gosh, it's so true. And, you know, I realize as you were saying all this, I realize I'm an outlier because I'm an entrepreneur or a CEO who loves sales and does sales. But even if you don't love sales and you don't do sales, I I just think the, the thing that keeps coming to my mind is some of the messaging that you came up with after talking to clients and the team and, and researching our competitors. We're going to swap out some of the language on our website with some of the messaging that Samantha came up with because it better served we know what we do, right? All of us know what we do and we can articulate it very well, but we're articulating it from our point of view. And the messaging that you came up with was articulating it from, yes, we can provide this service, but here a customer is what that's going to do for you. And I found that like just invaluable. Yeah. And I don't think, Brooke, you're unusual. I mean, you might be unusual in terms of your passion and not having augmented your team with a lot of salespeople. But I think most agencies are founded by people who wear a lot of hats. Even the salespeople at agencies are not pure salespeople like we have. They usually have a combination of an account management role. They often will handle onboarding of new clients. We sort of have this hybrid environment because of the nature of our businesses. We're selling people, we're selling expertise. And so the people need to stay involved in that process. And so I think your experience isn't uncommon 
where there the way we the way we can use a tool like this, the objectivity of doing this process, either yourself or having somebody externally do it is really critical to thinking in a new way because we're just inside it all day, right? We're all day long inside our businesses. And it's hard to take that step back and think objectively about what might have trained. Because, you know, what I founded my business to do in 2012, there are some things that I do the same, but I thought I was going to serve a very specific product launch market. Tech companies were going to product launches. That's what I thought I was going to build my business on. And I could attract those people, but they I can't make money doing that because most of them have no not enough money to pay me what I want to make. And so I had to really, so I do some of it because I enjoy it and I like to stay fresh in it. But I, I, my business is very different than I thought it would be all those years ago. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Same. I mean, I think that's just, well, that just makes you a smart business. We have to be Madonna, right? We have to constantly be reinventing ourselves because the industry of marketing changes so so often and so much. And then there's all these other you know factors that come into play with marketing. When there's an economic downturn, marketing is usually the first to go and the last to come back. So it's really important to think about how you can tighten things up, niche down as we're doing with the playbook. Okay, so let's end with, if I didn't know you and I'm a marketing agency owner and I'm like, you know what? I really want to try to do this and I think I can do it on my own. What would be the top three actionable tips you would give me to build my very first sales playbook? So the very first thing I would do if I was internal is I would get key stakeholders, some different functions across the business into a room and run like a mini workshop, get us all on the same page on goal setting and audience target. And that, that's like a three-hour discussion, right? This is not like a, a trivial discussion, but it's really important. And you're going to leave that room probably not agreeing fully. And you're going to leave that room with some questions that you need to go validate. And that's okay. You want to do that. If it's all a little too easy, you might not be pushing yourselves hard enough. Start with getting everybody on the same page about what you're trying to do. And then the next really important thing you need is go out and talk to buyers who are people who know and love you and talk to people that you lost. Do some win-loss analysis. Those are like the, the next really important step. And then the last step, well, then you can start looking at other agencies you might compete with and, you know, sort of the competitive stuff. But do the other pieces first, because the competitive piece is just about making sure you don't just sound like everybody else. It's not about trying to match them. It's not about trying to have nothing that no one else has. We always talk about unique differentiation. When you're an agency and you're a service, how you communicate, how you present, where you focus is where your differentiation is. We're all going to write copy. We're all going to do creative work. We're all going to serve a client in some way. So we have to differentiate in those other areas. And that's the hard work. This other piece of this process that I would talk about is have a regimented prioritization exercise so that just like you would for a client build a business case about why we're going to focus here. If you're a big team that doesn't all agree, you're going to need to run an internal process like that. You're going to need to give them the evidence and the, the proof of that. You're going to need to think about how we might have six opportunities in front of us, which two do we want to pursue and why? And don't try and make those decisions in yourself. There's lots of people need to be involved in that decision. And that can feel overwhelming, like we'll never get to one because I got to have six. You don't. There's a four meeting regiment that I can run and I can build any product requirements or any new launch requirements out of that process. You just have to be contained and structured in how you facilitate those discussions and how you leave enough time between them to learn something new. So one of the biggest mistakes we have is we get excited about it 
we have a meeting and we have four meetings where we haven't done any additional research or not enough research or looked at our data more carefully or any of those things. And so we just keep saying the same things over and over and we have the same arguments over and over and we don't make progress. So plan some time between those discussions to run those workshops in a way that you're going to get something meaningful out of them. That's such great advice because you're right. <laughs> I can tell you again, first thing, I'm like so excited about everything. So I'm like writing that down in my head, like, hey, make sure you take a breath and evaluate. I think there's a time, Brooke, where it's time to like, we're all in. It's time to make the decision. It will never be perfect. You will never know anything. So you have to put the guardrails to feel good enough and then go, we're ready. We're doing this. We're going to put it in market. We're going to test it. And when we put it in market and test it, we're still going to learn something. We might make some changes and some adjustments. So you don't want to wait for perfection because none of us will ever get out of our own way if we do that. Yes. So you just yes. trust you know enough to, to pull the trigger and, and go have some fun and go talk to more people and, and learn and adapt, but do it in the way that you feel you have enough structure to be solid with it. Love it. So we're at the end here. And I know that we've already mentioned your book, Unleashed Possible. Great book, by the way. You have a course that actually helps people kind of master the art of finding and using those buyer insights that we talked about so you can get your messaging right. But where else can people find you, connect with you personally? Like give us all the deets. Yeah, so unleashedpossible.com is the easiest way to get access to me and all the resources, a bunch of resources up there that I give away for free. You don't have to fill out forms. Just go up there and take stuff down. If you want to schedule time with me, you can do that directly from the site. It doesn't have to be paid service. I also have you just want to meet. There's an easy place in the contact form to, to schedule that as well. I'm also the most active social platform that I'm on professionally is LinkedIn. That's the place that I spend the most professional time. I have a pretty active Facebook community, but it's not as focused. That's more personal for me. People can find me there as well. But LinkedIn and uh, unleashedpossible.com are the best places. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing sales wisdom with us today. And hopefully we'll get to talk to you again later on about what happens after you launch your sales playbook. I would love to do that. And if anybody would like sort of a an outline of things, I don't you know put that in a public place, but I'm happy to share it with people and step people through it. The sections that I usually include in things. So always happy for people to reach out. We can just spend 15 minutes and I'll show you what, what we do. Oh, I love it that you're so helpful and so passionate about what you do. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening or watching and we'll see y'all on the next Marketing Agency show. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, make sure you tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast, the Web3 Business Podcast, and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you again next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.